This is it. This is the stream, everybody. Oh, hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Black Hills Information Securities Talking About News. In this particular episode, there will be no more dancing. We'll be talking about domain tools acquiring Farsight Security. Go for Paul Vixie on that one. We're going to talk about how not to allow your clients to modify emails that are being sent from your website. Lessons learned from the FBI on that one. We're going to talk a little bit, and I, I'm, I'm willing to bet that some of us are going to basically rant about Spectre, Meltdown, Rohammer-style attacks, because there's a new Rohammer variant that's out and about. More malware, because that's what the world needs right now is more malware. We're going to talk about quantum computing and how you really just need, really just need to focus on things that actually matter right now. More about the supply chain, and that's probably, oh, Robinhood. Robinhood appears to have been breached. And what's awesome about today, everybody, I just want to basically put this out to everyone. We don't have any stories about ransomware, which oh, is just a miracle. <laughs> which is great. So Grayson, we don't need you today. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, uh, that's actually really nice. I was actually talking to some of my friends that work in ransomware, and they're noticing that there's like a season it goes through. And we're in the down season of ransomware attacks. I don't know if it has anything to do with Christmas or whatever the hell holidays, man. They're too busy putting up decorations early uh, to, <laughs> to worry about ransomware. <laughs> Jason Blanchard has already got his decorations all ready to go back behind him. It's just talk, talk about over excelling. I mean, come on. Yeah, I know. Right. And he said and he's like, they, they broke it into the three chunks and that was chunk one. And it already looked like you know, the guy <laughs> came to his house and took over. Yeah, it's exactly. It looked like Santa Claus dropped off early and just put up all kinds of decorations in anticipation of the big event. Too much. Just too much. Just too much. <laughs> I know we didn't authorize that. Yeah, no, we did not. We did not. But let's jump right in. Let's talk about Robinhood. So I want to ask, with the Robinhood hack, so they've got uh, email addresses for 5 million customers that was exposed. Full names for 2 million, name, date of birth, zip code for 300 people, and more extensive account information about, for about 10 people, which is like their, their likes, their dislikes, about how they like sunrises and puppies and long walks on the beach. Can we just rename Robin Hood to uh, Sheriff of Nottingham? Just, it just might as well. Like this is, this, these guys are the opposite of Robin Robin Hood. Like literally the antithesis. Sorry, just had to get that in there. Um, the the yeah. tide started turning with that GameStop stuff and like them restricting oh, yeah. trades forever ago. I thought it was just done. Yeah. But you see Mandiant's involved in this one, so. Yeah, so everything's good. So everything's good. Mandiant, the high watermark for what you can charge in forensics and IR engagements. Okay, on to this story, though. Do we think it that this was a payback for them being just shady business, or do you think that this was just, um, you know, bad security practices and they were just, you know, caught in a, uh, you know, just, just one of the many, right? I, I think it was just bad security practices that got them. The other thing, you know, talking about it, it's not like they got user IDs and passwords. It's full names for 2 million people, email addresses for five. Yeah, that sucks. But most of these organizations are selling your email out anyway. Um, the oh, dates, yeah. birth, zip code for 300 people. I, I don't know. Like, whenever I first read this, it was like, oh, my God, 
because we have friends that work there, like really good friends on the security team. And I was terrified for them. And I'm like, you know, texting him like, dude, are you okay? You guys going to be all right? Can I send you a fruit basket? Because that always, that's, that's the thing you do. Whenever someone's hacked, you send them a fruit basket. It goes well with Red Bull. Edible arrangements, amazing. Yeah. Little arrangements are amazing. <laughs> so anytime a friend is hacked, that's what you do. You send them a fruit basket. I'm trying to get the address. And um, they're like, it isn't as bad as the news is putting it out to be. So do you think that this is as bad as the news has made it out to be, or is it just kind of like being blown up a little bit? Well, you know, I mean, Equifax, I mean, set the okay. threshold, right? Is that, is that <laughs> the Equifax scale drop? It's like, is this, is this a 0.25 Equifax or a 0.15? That's right. We, we call the EQ scale, and this is probably a 0.2. Yeah. Let's go back to OMB, yeah. right? The, the government who sets the standards. Oh, so the, so there we go because that is the standards with OMB. What's worse, the Equifax or the? O, I would say OMB the OMB is one the was worse. worse. Yeah, OMB was. Are worse. you kidding me? They so, can answer yeah. every security question I ever had from the OMB. I know. Right? What was my brother's and, social security number? For God's sakes, it was everything was in there. My whole family's. And it, so so. In the in the scheme I of things, OPM, OMB. So yeah, is, this, is this is this point one OMBs? Like, let's get. We need an award scale, Ryan. We need a graphic of how many Office of Administration and Budget, like oh. you know, how how much. I think this is like a point one five OMB or a point one five Equifax <laughs> a scale. <laughs> well, you got two so scales. They're like the, the Richter scale, and you got yeah. I mean, if we're going to adhere to, you know, earthquake uh, style, we, the, the scale's got to be uh, logarithmic, right? It, it can't be linear. So See, this is what happens when we, like, geeks run things. <laughs> <laughs> next, up, the, next up, this podcast is going to be, like, Facebook. It's going to be, well, it seemed like a good idea when we started it. Can you go over <laughs> K-Means clustering again, John? <laughs> Can you go over K-Means clustering again? I'm, I'm, I'm a little fuzzy on that one still. Already done K-means clustering in Madam. We're not going to do that again. Oh no, 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 no! We're going to we're talking yeah. about news, but now we're just talking. We have to shorten our name and just make it. I don't know. Is that is that good enough? We've lost direction. We've lost direction. <laughs> We've lost direction. So, I, in the grand scheme of things, someone pointed out in the comments they said that this is just conveniently disclosed just many months before their IPO, and that absolutely may have something to do with like the revenge portion of it. But even right now, I don't know a lot of people that are using Robinhood because of everything that happened with GameStop and AMC. It just, it looks bad. It's not been a very good year for them so far. Yeah, it feels bad. Even if the actual data isn't as bad as like, you know, it sounds when at, at first read, I think the overall impact compounding on everything else is just like, just makes it feel much worse. They're very bad, not very good like a couple of weeks or something. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if they lost an email list, right? Like an email list got exposed, that's actually really nothing bad, right? But you're here, you're like, wow, their security practices aren't good over there. And they did some mean stuff, so I don't like them, right? So it's just kind of bad news. So. <laughs> it just, it just comes <laughs> Yeah, exactly. As time goes on. Well, speaking of horrible things, um, North Korean hackers targeted cybersecurity researchers with a trojanized version of Ida Pro. And of course, this comes this. from Lazarus. They, God damn, those Lazarus hackers, like every time you think they're gone, they just keep coming back again and again. They're like some kind of um, 
zombie or something. I don't know. I mean, to um, the real the real question here, though, John, is can you use the Trojan Ida to untrojan the Trojan Ida? And if you can, <laughs> free Ida for everybody. Is that <laughs> work? Does it work? That's all I want to know. All right, the yeah, matter, I mean, we can I, figure that out. Okay. From what I've heard, it does work, and yes, you can reverse engineer the Ida Trojan <laughs> with the version of it's kind of like an infosec lightsaber. Uh, it's so dangerous. You've got it. You got to have certain skills to use it and actually Perfect. set it up. But uh, we've seen this for years, right? Where attackers have gotten access. I mean, Joff's old. I'll, I'll ask him. God, um, I think oh, remember, uh, the TCP dump. There was a while there that they backdoored TCP dump. And we talked about the Linux kernel, and how it almost got backdoors with the with the W clone W wall. We've talked about that for years. But Wireshark, I was was it Wireshark or was it just Wireshark had a lot of exploitable vulnerabilities in it over time. Well, yeah, but, Wireshark's always had filter issues because it's doing protocol dissection, right? Protocol yeah, dissection so is going to be vulnerable. Always got these problems. Always got those. And so I, I think it boils down to just don't download your security tools from janky websites because you think you're getting them for free. Actually pay the money and get them from where they're supposed to be from. I think that works better. But it's so expensive. That's the problem, you know? Yeah, it's, it's, just, yeah. it's just so expensive. <laughs> yeah, that's... They did misspell recommended in this in this splash page for installing it. Well, now that's it. Now. How are you? It's just security pressure right there. Yeah, I, I think I've I think I've mentioned this to you guys a couple of times. Some of you are new. I'm so bad at spelling. Totally not a joke. That sometimes Google and my email will say, "Oh, you're trying to type in French," <laughs> and it changes my entire language dictionary to French. <laughs> this, epic. So I feel for these guys. I do. I feel, I feel for these attackers, you know, they just, they are actually I not do. native English speakers. I do. I do. <laughs> so I want to talk, I want to bundle two stories together. I want to bundle, let's start by talking about the U.S. worried that hackers are stealing data today. So quantum computers can crack it in a decade. And I also want to talk about the DDR4 Rowhammer attack. Now, the long con, the first one you know, worried about hackers trying to steal, trying to steal data so they can crack it with, you know, quantum computing in the future. This is okay. Whoa, I'm, I'm just going to go, I'm going to go all in. This is dumb. This is, just, <laughs> this is like, somebody is like sitting at what, what did this come from? What news source did this technology review? Like, it's oh, kind of like one. wild ass speculation that we can go with today. It, isn't it, this the point of encryption? Like, it is like, hey, listen, we use this encryption and it should last X amount of years, right? We always, like, put it exactly. in, like, how long it should last, right? <laughs> and like, so how long should the secret be good for? It's like I mean, if it cracks all of a sudden, it's like, yes, diet Dr. Pepper does taste more like regular Dr. Pepper. No one cares. <laughs> Mr. Pid, Mr. Pid. It's a total crapshoot, right? I mean, it's I, plausible. Right, if you did like full packet capture on some big ISP pipe for freaking year, and then you oh. kept it for another forty years, and then you fed it into your quantum AI machine learning fantastic algorithm. Buzzword you... bingo over here. <laughs> oh, I think you got it. Job's already drunk. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he was drunk before he got out of pre-show. <laughs> He's going to be passed out on his floor. But, but so this, this shows a fundamental misunderstanding of how quantum computing works. And I know that someday this video is going to show up in the future and someone's going to be like, look at this idiot back in 2000 <laughs> or you know, 2021 
just eight moron. kilobytes of RAM. <laughs> if it was simply if if it was simply an issue of brute forcing something, they'd be right. But if you're looking at the way right. encryption actually works with public key, private key pairs, I'm not saying it's impossible to crack it with you know with quantum computing, but it's not a simple, a non-probabilistic hard problem that you're attacking. You know, even if you do have the public and the private key, you're still going to need the password. And that is something you could attack with quantum computing. But actually going through and trying to, you know, brute force something is not, it's like they read, uh, who's that guy that wrote the uh, Da Vinci Code? Dan Brown, is that his name? Yeah, yeah that's him. Yeah. He wrote this freaking horrible book called, like, I think it was called Digital Fortress or something. And it was yep. all about the NSA building a huge computer system because all they needed to do to crack crypto is simply crack passwords. It's like Dan Brown didn't even read a Wikipedia article on how crypto worked before he just went headlong into writing a book. Uh, he just did it with no background or research whatsoever. The man's an absolute uh, moron. But that kind of shaded a lot of people. And whenever they look at quantum computing, they think it's just, well, if we just crack the passwords, we got it. It's way more complicated than that. I feel like we, we should cue a whole bunch of Hollywood movie scenes right now on, sure. on hacking, right? <laughs> cue hacking scene number one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it, it's like, oh, it's a Hydra cipher. Who's under the table? What are you doing? Um, so Except the notable exception, you got to pull the Matrix out of that because the beginning scene of, of episode of movie yeah. number two was a legit SSH nuke, right? So Yeah, that yeah. was actually legit hacking. And, and you know what's awesome? If you're a director and you're listening to our podcast, number one, why? Okay. <laughs> Did you end up number, here? Number two, if you're listening to our podcast, one of the things you should take from that is you can actually put real hacking in a movie and geeks will literally be talking about it 20 years later. So, <laughs> you know, so um, we had Ben Webb said, people can't keep hard drive Bitcoin for five years without blanking it or losing the password, I somehow doubt the effect of keeping the data long enough would fail just because of the process. I like that. Um, has anyone even thought, too, about the storage cost of all of that information, right? Like, oh, the Chinese got that down. Oh, yeah. No, they literally make all the drives. So I mean, there is, there is somebody out there today still wondering how to get stuff off of 8-inch floppies, right? So, I mean, come on. Yeah, I've heard about some companies out there that that is literally what they do. They have nothing but like floppy drives and a whole bunch of old um, system interfaces and peripherals where you can send them like, oh, I got this zip drive and you can send it to them. They'll extract the data. And send so, it. Johnny, I know you just graduated college, but we got something you need to learn, okay? It's five and a half inch floppies. You're going to be uh, copying these today all day. Um, yeah, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> welcome to an internship at PHI. Welcome. Yes. Welcome. You're really good at some skills. I know, and more, more importantly, don't roll them. Don't roll them into your typewriter and pipe the label on them because they See, don't there's work. Grayson. I knew there was a reason we invited him today. I, I got like, a box. The ransomware. It's, it's all about the hard drives and, you know, there's Bitcoin <laughs> on here somewhere. I just got to find it. <laughs> somewhere. I have a recovery service and I only charge a small nominal fee. Yeah, I only charge 10%. That's it. I, I, bet you, I bet you if you apply some AI and machine learning, you'll be able to leverage those skills to recover that data. Oh, my God. God, God help you if Ralph gets the password to your Bitcoin wallet before you do. <laughs> <laughs> so I said that with a straight face and I didn't even have a drink in my hand, right? Look. Yeah. Yeah. It was yeah, funny is that uh, in, the, in the early days, it, it, for people who don't know, in the early days, 
when you made a Bitcoin wallet, you got this thing called a, a BIP uh, address, right? So this is like a recovery seed. And they had, a, um, you know, as the years went on, they made the recovery seed longer. I think it's like 32 words now. But before it was like 12 words, okay? So you can go, and I know people who did done this, and you start guessing at the words because there's only a certain amount of words, but it does make like, um, you know, there's a lot of words that are combinations. But you start guessing at those words, and they get that that's, spits out a private key and then you can check the blockchain to see if there's any coins there so you can actually go um you know a little uh gold mining for bitcoin treasure hunting mining the it's it's bitcoin treasure hunting yeah yeah treasure hunting right it's not yeah you might end up with uh you know satoshi's wallet and then everyone will think that you did it so sorry then then you get very very quiet very quiet (laughs) (laughs) very quickly where did he go so I'm reading through this article and there's just some quotes in it that just make me just laugh. Like preparing in advance. Experts say it could take it could still be a decade or more before quantum computers are able to accomplish anything useful. But with money pouring <laughs> into the field, both China and the United States, it's like I just had to like, you know, in my head, it's like, you know, experts say it could be a decade or more before we get quantum computers, hoverboards, and cold fusion. Um it's just <laughs> back wow. to the future. Dave Kennedy's getting ready to join, right? He's got the Got the yeah. <laughs> that new car oh. he just got done with. It's called a DeLorean and it's DeLorean, uh, fast. Yeah. 85 exactly. Actually, like I, I am totally <laughs> envious of Dave's build. I mean, that DeLorean looks fantastic. Yeah. It really does. I can solve this whole problem. We're just gonna encrypt it twice. There you go. Uh, yeah. it'll be too much. It'll be too much for them. Too much. Uh, all right. So you know what? But I mean, if this works, like maybe maybe I'm looking at this all wrong, guys. Like maybe. Maybe what we need to do is we need to use this and go to user awareness and be like, hey, everybody, we've got to go to passwords that are, you know, 14 characters or 15 characters long because of quantum computers. And they'll all be like, I heard of that. I saw this. I saw this on Fox News. They were talking about quantum computers. Yes, we're going to be doing 15 character passwords with two-factor authentication. Maybe that's the way we get people. You'll never convince PCI with this. (laughs) But still, PCI will be like, we're seeing seven characters. Because damn it, oh John. Seven we're, not even, we're not even 30 minutes into the podcast and somebody said PCI. That's it. I'm out. <laughs> Artificial <laughs> intelligence will replace day. PCI. <laughs> I, I think that Ryan puts this. So like Mondays are like meeting Mondays at Black Hills Information Security. That's and we're fact. all pissed off and jaded by the time we get to the show. Uh, because it's been <laughs> nothing but meetings. So you're getting you're getting uh, you're getting very angry BHIS people here, and Grace, buddy, um, who doesn't work for us yet. No, um, no. So, um, do, do we want to talk about Rowhammer, Joff? You were you were starting to rant on this one. Do you want to talk a little bit about like the Spectre meltdown, Rowhammer style attacks, and kind of your thoughts on it? So, I always I always love these attacks, right? <laughs> Tongue in cheek, Rowhammer style attacks usually rely on the fact that you're manipulating hardware to impact adjacent hardware at really small microatomic levels, okay? So awesome. So to do that, you normally have to manipulate that hardware for a long time and pound on it and pound on it, hence the hammer analogy, until some bit, and it's usually in the form of one bit, flips in an adjacent piece of hardware, okay? So any time I've ever seen Rowhammer-style attacks published in articles, I'm like, all right, cool. Show me a practical and usable attack in real time. And everybody gets quiet because there isn't one normally. 
Now I'm sure we'll get a bunch of rants. Oh, Braves we get rants. Yeah, we, we got we got hate mail coming in. Yeah. I'm glad you're taking oh. it this time. So if you just and not me, but but still, I, I like to talk about these types of attacks because I think that these attacks highlight just how important it is for PCI to go beyond seven character pass. Sorry, I had to. I had to. <laughs> That's where we were going. I had to. It's seven characters, but. You know, when we talk about these things and mathematicians get so excited, like, Joff, we've talked about SLS, TLS vulnerabilities, right? Like, right. you know, beast yeah. and crime and all these things. And they always have these really complicated attack scenarios. Like, if you're able to execute JavaScript in the victim's browser, then you can launch this mathematic. I'm already executing in their browser at that point. It, it's just, it's just, it's mathematically interesting. It's technically interesting. As a geek, I think it's great and nothing but a hats off to the researchers. Oh, yeah. But if you're, if you're watching this show, you, you, once again, why? Uh, but if you're watching the show, you really need to focus on fundamentals, like increasing the amount, like the length of your passwords, two-factor everywhere, patch your crap, focus on those things. Because both Joff and I are IONS faculty, and we get these all the time. As soon as these articles hit, we have a ton of IONS customers that are like, we want to sit down and have a ask the expert about the, you know whether yeah. or not we should be worried about Can row you hammer. Please quantify the risk of a row hammer DDR4 attack. And we're like, um, yeah. so do you have a list of your software assets in your organization? Well, no, no but we're really worried about these DDR4 row hammer attacks. <laughs> so do you do you have group policy preference files from before 2008? What's that? <laughs> yeah, okay. We need we need to focus on some other things here, people. Uh, so I don't know. what is. What, I feel like Joff and I are the loudest people in the room by far. And other people are like, no, I think this is really important. So anybody else have an opinion about these things? And the room gets quiet. I think they're dumb. Crickets. I'm, I'm a dumb guy. I'm not going to pontificate on this. I'm not I agree with everything that's been said. Like, to me, they <laughs> exist in a lab. But as far as the real world implications in real time, they just don't exist. And so it's, you know, it's a lot. Sometimes, unfortunately, it's cool research and things like that, but it's a lot of noise. And sometimes it takes away from the stuff that, you know, actually matters and things like that, like PCI seven character passwords. Like maybe we can get past that at some point. But no, we're going to be concerned about Rowhammer and Spectre and all these other things. And they're potentially down the line could have massive uh, ramifications and things like that. But it's mostly just noise, in my opinion. It's interesting noise. I mean, if, if, yes. if you're a tech geek, you want to get in on this, right? It's like, absolutely, it's but I, I, I don't want to have to sit here and, and do a deep dive with, with a customer on Rowhammer when they've got yeah. eight character passwords on the perimeter. Show, show me the POC. Show, show, show it to yeah. me. Like, you know, sh show me the one that works, you know, in some valid scenario where I just jump on a box and I'm just dumping everything, right? Like... You know, if those were out there, we would, I'd be using it for sure. Right. I mean, come on, right. Okay. So let's use an example. Um, Heartbleed. Joff knows Heartbleed really well. <sighs> um, when Heartbleed came out, that was one of those vulnerabilities. It's like, oh, oh yeah, this is, this is, this is bad. This, this impacts thousands and maybe hundreds of thousands of systems. Whenever we had Shellshock that came out, it's like pretty much every single Apache web server was vulnerable like overnight. Um, to a variation of the Linux fork bomb that actually allowed you to execute code. You know, those are some things that came up that like at the panic scale, that those are things we definitely should be panicking about. 
But once again, these are cool, right? And whenever you're hanging around a bunch of, you know, mathematicians who get excited about this, this is what they get excited about. And, you know, God bless every one of them. We want them to do their job. But at the same time, if you're listening to this and you're a general security practitioner, just keep your stuff patched. Focus on those things. Uh, How many times have you heard Rowhammer? John, why are... What do you what do you call? It? How many times have you guys heard Rowhammer and Ransomware? Zero. How many times, Ralph, have we heard ransomware and spear phishing? Everything. <laughs> can, can you guys hear me? Yeah, we can now. Yeah, I think I I think I got Rowhammered. <laughs> no, no. like, we'll show Joff. We got no, him. No, no, my uh, my browser crashed. Uh, anyway, it was a Rowhammer. I swear to God. Rowhammer. So why do so. companies not like to talk? talk to the, the sys controls after six i know all of them are important but why is it so hard why why do we why do we squirrel and go to the to the fun stuff so i, I grayson i think it's just because we're tech geeks so like anytime you look at like pen testers right a lot of times pen testers are constantly going for the hard thing and i'm going to pick on joff because joff's first pen test that he did he was trying all kinds of just like crazy hard kung fu stuff I dropped him in at a bank. I think it was a bank. Like, when his first week. It's yes, like, it was. You're doing this quit. internal on this. I'm like one of the most difficult banks we've ever tested. And he was getting nowhere, right? You're immediately going to those really hard technical problems because you get fixated on those types of problems. It's like, you know, you go out to the beach with people and they get fixated on a shark attack because that is really a very, like, spectacularly horrifying way to die when they're probably more likely to die with the, the, you know, the Coke machine falling on them or something. So the going back to like the technical people, we fixate on the really hard things, right? And I think at the end of the day, it was Joff was basically like, I was able to move around the network because I found a file with passwords in it. You know, that's really basic, right. fundamental blocking and tackling. But in, we always have to try to break that down at BHIS anytime we're testing to basically say, hey, you've got this really hard problem, go find the easy stuff first, then circle back to the hard problem. And just being a tech geek, we love hard problems. We do. And I think it's just, I think it's absolutely like our catnip in this yeah, industry, we, we, honestly. We can't, we can't help ourselves. And I remember John telling me, it's like, Joff, look, dude, hacking is not about finding zero-day exploits and everything you encounter. Yep. Yep. <laughs> like, just go find a file. That'll get you no exploits in the next four tests, but whatever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it will get you noticed if you find it will get you noticed if you do find one. And we've had a few. Yeah. Yeah, we've, had, we've had one or two here and there, but but it's, it is not a daily thing. I'm just telling you. If the people out there believe so, because if the Hollywood producers are watching, we just spoiled tons, tons of movie scripts right now. Destroyed. <laughs> Yeah. So the next one I want to talk about is this is an article that's done right. Sysdig. Sysdig has this article, Secure Software Supply Chain, Why Every Link Matters. And this isn't like a news article. Of course, they're trying to sell stuff, right? Like they have their own products, a secure DevOps platform. They work in that area and Kubernetes and cloud. And I, I don't know much about Sysdig. But just from this article, I'm like, yeah, these guys seem like they know what they're doing. A couple of things that I like about this article is one, it breaks down supply chain attacks. Like it talks about base libraries, third-party packages, source, co source code. They talk about all the libraries being pulled into the main source code of your application. 
and all of those different places. They got cutesy little like, you know, icons explaining things. They talk about an attack vector going from a software repository into a compiling tool and how that can feed through. And then at the end, they go through and they say, here's some examples. And I, I saw SolarWinds and uh, Code Cove, and I'm like, well, that, that's going to be the two they talk about, but they just kept going, right? It was Code Cove. They got SolarWinds, Kaseya, Apple Xcode and Xcode, Xcode Ghost, wow. NPM Package UA Parser, Unicode Compilers, um, the Huawei uh, fan. They went through all of these different things. Then they tied it back to the MITRE ATT&CK framework. This is just an amazing article. Uh, well talking written. about supply chain attacks, just very well written. Um, and I think Dave's mentioned it. We've talked about supply chain attacks here a number of times, especially with the complexity of everything that we have out there. And it's something that I wish we, we could spend more time on in our pen tests, especially like web app pen tests, is looking at like, what is the libraries that are used to make this web app? What are the versions? And then going back and looking at the issue tracker for a lot of those software packages and seeing if there's DOS conditions that exist. It's, it's really a hard thing for any organization to actually get their head around. And I think that this article absolutely does it justice. I don't know if anybody else got a chance to read this as well. I read a little bit of it and, you know, just, it kind of threw me back into the whole software bill of materials, NIDA links. I mean, the yeah. article didn't, but that's the headspace that I went to is like, if you need a refresher, there's some good, there's some good research and good knowledge out there in that community. Yeah. But, but even at that, with that community, with the software bill of materials, it, it, I, I think that this article would kind of get to the point that sometimes it, it, you can have like a whole bunch of code libraries that get rolled up into a set of code. And sometimes you're so distanced as a consumer of a product that you wouldn't be able to get that. And even the developers of that product, as we've talked about here in the past, a lot they're of blinded. times they don't even know, right? Yeah, yeah, they don't even know what some of their libraries that they're using. Like this crap goes deep. And I think yeah. one of the jokes that came up was, you know, underneath all of it is a lightweight Minix kernel from 1999 or something. It's, just, <laughs> it's turtles it's all, all the way down. It's all MIPS. <laughs> well, I, you know, I, another thing I think of the supply chain thing really, really highlights is, is the need to, to have a solid security practice for your developers as well. Don't just assume that away because, you know, a lot of these compromises that are out there, they're, they're coming through the things that we know as pen testers that happen all the time. And that's, you know, maybe a developer's a Git, Git account has been compromised and somebody has stealthily, maybe many, many months back in the software development cycle, inserted a little piece of code and, and very carefully done that. And, and you know, this, and, is, this is very so scary. Jar. That's a great that's a great point because that's something we're not testing for, right? No. And and if there's any pen testing firms that says that they do that, they're full of crap, right? Yeah. You can't as an ethical pen testing firm go and break into somebody else's GitHub repository. So an update gets pushed to your customer's network. You just can't. Now, we've had situations where we've came close to doing that, but in general, one of the things I'm scared of is what you were talking about, Joff, is there's a whole crap ton of things that are vulnerabilities that we aren't aware of because they're not actively being tested by firms. You know, do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, exactly. And I, and I think it even gets worse if you think about the real long play. There is easily a way to poison the well and put out a bunch of source code online because developers never copy anything, right? Yeah, you just go to Stack Overflow, just put a yeah. bunch of malware backdoors in code. I mean, seriously, you know, this this could be a, a huge long play, and 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 you know, and 
unfortunately, there's only a minority of people that are really paying an atten paying attention. The rest of them are probably under some, you know, operational pressure to get it out the door. They're going to take whatever they can find on that. And this is something where I think that the government can help, right? You know, we're always, you know, we talk about government and regulations and things like that, where I don't think in individual companies can actually trace that back as far as they should. Um, you know, whenever you're looking at, at companies like uh, Sysdig and what they're doing, especially for containers and stuff, I think that that's fantastic, right? But even that doesn't go back as far as it should for every asset within an organization. But if, if you could actually, if the government could actually help open source projects and finance open source projects that are being used by everybody, and then hiring security firms to test that code and really try to get into testing and evaluating the foundation of all of our technologies and also supporting these people that are developing code sets that are at the heart of every piece of technology that we use and they're doing that crap for free, I think that that would help out a lot. You know, you'd yeah. have people that would be doing open source code development. They'd be getting some money and getting some assistance and getting that, that code secured. I think that that would be a really good thing for the industry as a whole. But I don't know, I, I, until we have companies that actually step up to try to help, like if you look at like Oracle and all these companies that are using tons of libraries from the open source community and everything they do, and I'm not just picking on Oracle, it'd be Oracle, IBM, everybody is using it, then we're going to continue to have these problems for quite some time. Absolutely. And, and you know, for a lot of us, it's a very, very deep, dark well that we don't want to think about too much because it gets deep, it gets dark, and really, really scary. Yes. And, yeah, uh, exactly. you know, but it's... So speaking of real and scary things, there's another article about... This is... Oh, God. The um, Newsweek? No. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm going to talk about the phone spy uh, malware. Now, this... this this report came from Zymphirium. Uh, Elizabeth from uh, Threat Post posted this one out. And this gets into, I think, another problem that we have in the industry as a whole, where we get completely worked up with malware and what this malware does. And if you look at what malware actually does, almost every single one of these articles are like, well, a whole bunch of security engineers, they reverse engineered the malware and they discovered its capabilities were, one, it had command and control. <laughs> Two, it had the ability to access files on the device. Three, and I mean, it's always the same capabilities again and again and again in these different malware specimens. So I, I guess I want to throw this out. Is this something that we maybe should stop being so worked up over, just knowing that this is what malware does? I think there's a place for security researchers. I mean, we were talking about the previous article or even the Rowhammer universities and what they're doing. There's absolutely a place for that. But should a security team get completely worked up about the type of malware that exists for different phones? Wow. That was a potty killer. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so when we talk about phone malware, no one cares. I think phone malware is really interesting. I, I keep getting hit up with all these texts all the time now. And I, I don't know if it's because I've subscribed to certain things or whatnot. But, you know, I always like to, you know, drop them into VirusTotal or wherever. But there's not a lot of – I feel like there's not a ton of – there, there is research, obviously, but there's not a lot of folks that are doing a lot of posting around the types of malware that's in phones or that could be in phones. Maybe I'm so I think, that, I think that's a good point, Grayson, because people don't believe that malware can exist on their phones because they don't see it. It's kind of raising awareness that you just can't click on every little link that comes in or SMS message. So I think there's value there. Yep, I would, yeah. I would happily see that point. Absolutely. What's, 
what's the like uh you know barrier to entry though in phone malware right i mean we have two ecosystems right now we have apple and android both of them have you know decent security practices right so i mean i think in general most of the articles we see the barrier to entry is um at this point right now nation state or similar right or some other you know group you know where you have to buy something right you can't necessarily um but you know we're not all getting ransomware on our phone right now so i mean i guess the entry yeah. is not that low yet yeah no i mean that's a great point right is that is that is that next right i'm just going to be using my phone and next thing you know i'm gonna have to pay up ouch i don't i don't know uh, but once again i mean like we've talked about in the past if you're going after someone's phone always boiling it down and saying what's the data you're trying to get access it's much easier to get access to their cloud account than it is to yeah. get access to the device that, that's and, a really salient point right it's much easier to turn it around uh you know the phone the phone is just some sometimes not that interesting uh Jathith, uh i might be mispronouncing the name i know i am um great quote lots of the chinese phones have custom android skins or older versions of android operating systems that's ripe for targeting um and a lot of these phones are super popular in asia and india so there's you know you, you start getting into like ethnocentric views of the ecosystem right like it's all just either android or iphone and you go to a lot of these other parts of the world and they have a whole bunch of different versions of Android. And that gets into yeah. like, we've actually worked with some government contracts and talked to some people about, you know, well, we need exploits for iPhones and Android devices. And it's not an Android exploit all the time. Most of the time, whenever you actually start exploiting some of these devices at different levels, you need to write it for the specific hardware platform. Like, it's, you know, it's an Android on a Samsung device. So yeah. it tends to be a little bit more specific, but that's a great point as well. Yeah, there's so you, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, yeah, there's definitely a lot of older devices out, uh, you know, outside of the uh, typical ecosystem all over the country, mostly Android because of Apple's kind of like more stringent push for software updates on some of their, uh, you know, more recent devices, uh, longer support life cycles, right? But, um, you know, if my iPhone suddenly starts getting ransomware, I mean, you can imagine Apple's going to take some. Uh, or, or Google, for that matter, is going to take yeah. some pretty quick response to how, how that's happening and, and looking to you know, prevent that whole path, right? Is it forever? Well, no. But, you know, it, but it's I, not but happening I think yet. That, it's interesting that we talk about this because it's absolutely a debate that has existed since the beginning of computing. I mean, if you go back to the beginning of computing, you had monolithic kernel versus microkernel architecture. And that was the big debate, right? A microkernel is basically what one, a very small kernel that's modular that you can add lots of functionality, add lots of programs, and basically the end user can develop what they want that architecture to do, and that one. Whereas monolithic, they were like, computers should do one thing and one thing only and do it really well. They lost. Whereas now you're looking at modern computing where we're talking about like devices like phones, it's really not quite a micro kernel or monolithic kernel it's basically a sandboxing architecture and that has a lot to do with basically these vendors coming up with a completely new way of developing an operating system from scratch like microsoft's big problem is reverse compatibility it's got to be compatible with different applications in the past and it has to be flexible enough moving forward in the future so when you're looking at these devices you're absolutely right ralph it's like this is a completely different creature but the security model, I think, is more secure. I think that these vendors, they also want to have full control over that platform as well. From a security purpose, if something comes up, they can push out updates immediately and hit 80% of the devices overnight. 
from a sales perspective, it gives them a tremendous amount of power in that ecosystem, not just from a security perspective, but from a sales perspective. Um, there's a great article and presentation out there. God, I can't remember the dude's name, but the coming war on general purpose computing. I wish you could remember the dude's name. He was a writer for Wired for a while. But he talks about how vendors want to go to this model for absolutely everything. And then there's big questions, you know, how like, this seems like it's a more secure model. Is it or is it just that we don't see the security attacks and vulnerabilities as much as we used to because you're not seeing it ramp? There we go. Um, you're not seeing it as, um, as much as we used to see it in traditional Windows-based attacks and things like that. Well, and, that, and that's, John, that's kind of, I mean, I don't know if you can see my screen, but like I just got one earlier today or yesterday about McDonald's surveys. And, you know, even going in and pushing stop changes the subscription. I actually get more now, which is fine because I want to look at the stuff. But like when you go look at the URL in like Cuckoo or like, like a redirector and try to figure out where it's going, I think like is there people that are tracking that research as far as, you know, what the intent behind some of these fake surveys are? Is there malware that's redirecting depending on the, the type of device that it gets sent to? How would you well, know? It sounds like this is a job for a fleet of flying monkeys. Um, <laughs> being like, I want you guys to click on every single link that comes through this device. Just a big and room with like 50 phones just clicking. Just <laughs> I hate my job. I hate my job. Like, no, we're not going yeah. to run it in an emulator. And they'll be like, why? Like, the attackers, they can detect if they're running in an emulator. So we require an intern to hit yes to everything. Every oh, one no. of them. Man. They Every turn the camera on to track your eyes to make sure it's human. Yeah, exactly. Well, I have to Not imagine. my eyes, find you. Your eyes. Yes, your eyes. I have to imagine that a lot of these are not following the links and stuff like that. So I don't know 100% for sure. But a lot of it's really for credential harvesting, trying to get you to provide your credentials to some service or something like that is like, Hey, log in using Google and then you'll get this, you know, free big Mac or whatever like that and stuff. I mean, cause if you look at it based off of things like what we've talked about, where the, the cloud service providers and things like that are, are the richer target in terms of being able to get the information that's on your phone and things like that. I'm just kind of at a loss of like, what is the actual benefit uh, truly of a phone-based malware with a, the exception of things like, you know, what NSO groups and Pegasus is targeting journalists and looking who are they talking to um, stuff. Some of that information is much, uh, it's easier to get on the phone itself versus maybe through through the cloud service providers or anything like that. But outside of that, as many scam text messages and stuff, I get it. I, I question like, what are they actually wanting to get from us um, as users and things? And the first thing that comes to mind is just credentials. Because yeah. once we turn those well, over, now the opportunity is, is, is right there for them. It's been several, several years, but I, I did some research a few years back about like rogue MDM enrollments. And I think that that could be a play. If you're not enrolled in an MDM per se in a company MDM, maybe maybe it's leading into a fish that then leads into an enrollment of the device in some way, and then you get more access to it later. Absolutely. So I think what this boils down to everybody is homework. I think every one of us should click on one of these links and then come back and report what we found. Um, so next week, everybody, chop, chop. Oh, God. And by the way, I that with. On so a burner phone. Let's have some fun with this. Like, like I don't. On a burner phone. 
Um, so if you want to load it into Burp Suite Pro and fuzz it, just you know to fuzz it because they're looking for data, user IDs, passwords. Let's give them user IDs and passwords. So let's have some fun and see what we what we can find. I did want to get to one last story today. Is the FBI's? Um, this is from Krebs on security. Krebs on security. <laughs> the only thing I remember as I was reading this entire article was, oh my God, it's yet another F12 attack. Um, so <laughs> the, the security Ooh. researcher found out that uh, the FBI's own website leaked the one-time passcode in the HTML code of the webpage when you visited it. And then you were able to send yourself an email from the EIMS email address at the FBI, and you could edit the request sent to the browser and change it within the browser. So the text in the message, you could change the subject field and the text content, and you could send it to anybody you wanted. Yay! So basically, it says when you requested the confirmation code, it was generated client side, and then you sent, then it sent you via a post request. So the key thing that you need to take from this is don't ever do any processing like this client side. Ever. <laughs> like that's, just, that's just like one of the worst things that you can do in a web server. Lowest bidder here. <laughs> yeah. yeah, lowest bidder. So I just. How did they get into Vinny, Vinny on this one? Oh, he's trying to smear Vinny again. Yeah, that's right. Vinny, Vinny in, the, in the dark web. He's one of those guys that decided to go after the dark web at Nightline. Okay, so it was a running joke. He wasn't involved in this at all. But no, I, I just think that this is a classic example of a website that's just ancient, and it needs to be updated as well. Uh, do better? Uh, yeah, do better, yeah, better, FBI. Do better. Do better. harder. When, when your website can be hacked by reading the JavaScript, do better. I mean, any public.gov site, just assume you're going to need to do some decent security assessment, like auditing, right? Like, everybody's going to be looking at it. Like, that is the biggest, you're the biggest target, for sure. Yeah, do you guys remember the healthcare.gov website debacle during the Obama administration? Oh, yeah. Which part? Which um, the main one. Where, where, where Dave went and testified to Congress and we submitted a brief that was so bad that you could go to that website and you could literally like find an input field and push down arrow on your keyboard and it listed out all of the previously like ran searches in the history. So it wasn't like your <laughs> search history. It was everyone's search history. And in there it was like a what's what of SQL injection attacks. Oh and they my God. all worked it was like it was like a ctf server that was just amazing i can't remember how many millions of dollars that website was it was so bad but this is this is a lighter example of that but you're right you're going to put up a government website you should probably have that tested fairly thoroughly now i got a question (laughs) i do wonder how many web application pen testers would have picked up the one-time passcode being transferred in the html code because i don't think that would come up would it in a standard zap or burp scan? Mm, yeah, but if you extract all uh, strings, comments, and things like that, you might. Not in a scan. It probably wouldn't come up in a scan. No, I don't think it would come out in a scan. If you, if you did the mapping of the website and you were looking at the input fields yeah. and kind of researching it, I think it Any, would. Anytime I'm doing a web app and it is not like a public framework, right? 
it immediately mm-hmm. makes me dive deep, right? Like I'm going to try yeah. so much more as soon as I know that it's some custom code. Like that is your first red flag that you that should really there. be look. Yeah, that you should be looking a lot deeper than you are. Okay, and then you, you go in, right? So I mean, anybody who's done a couple web apps should know, like this is the first thing, right? We have to assume this guy, whoever wrote this, whatever company is not good at this, because if they were, everyone would be using it. So but let's you, go. But you absolutely know, like. <laughs> You don't even have to meet that guy, right? Yeah. But you know how he is, right? Like if you sat down with him at lunch, like I noticed that you decided to develop your entire web server language from scratch instead of using like Apache IIS or yeah. Why did you do that? Well, man, you just look at all those vulnerabilities and I just don't want those vulnerabilities in my app. I just decided, you know, I, I, actually, I actually invented, you always hear this quote every damn time. I actually invented object-oriented coding whenever I was coding on yes. a Commodore 64 when I was like 11 years old. Mm. So I've got like yeah. mad skills and I'm a full stack engineer and I'm an alpha developer. It's like, this is wow. delicious. This web app pen test is going to make my month. Thank you so much, random dude. It's almost always like that. My favorite one yeah. that I did because I'm old very similar to this. I was able to actually generate emails from and to anyone I wanted to, a TEDx programmer. (laughs) 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 Um, So I was able to do this and I sent an email to the customer from whitehouse.gov and it was the president of the United States. It was sent, sent it from the president of the United States. I was able to insert a picture of Abraham Lincoln as the picture in the email and the subject was theater sucks. And I remember he was like, dude, that joke's in poor taste. And I was like, seriously? Too soon for Abraham Lincoln theater jokes? Uh, but very, very, very similar. <laughs> that's a good point. That's good very similar. That's, that's a kind of mind-blowing response. Yeah. See, that, that, that whole discussion reminds me of sometimes we, you know, us sitting on um, scoping calls and and like you could literally have a text in the background. It's like, um, yeah, who wants this one? Because this is going bad. Yeah. <laughs> like within the first 10 minutes of the discussion. It, oh, yeah. Be- like whenever you have, yeah. And it's, and there's times, uh, Joff, I love it whenever they have their developer, like somebody said they're 10X engineer or 10X programmer. 10X program. and, and that guy's going off and the customer is like texting you in that test. And they're like, <laughs> I'm so sorry right. about though. Everyone knows he's an ass. If you could really just break his code like completely, <laughs> everyone here would be eternally grateful. Uh, yeah. He's been living up this his whole life. When, yeah. when, when, when the customer gives you a personnel target. <laughs> we've, had, we've had a well-known law firm do that. Get, get uh, his code. Get his code. And then always that guy in the findings meeting argues with it. And we just went through this a while ago, CJ and I and another one of the testers. They were like, oh, that's not... That's not that's not a critical vulnerability for cross-site request forgery. No. It's like no no no. It's 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 textbook <laughs> cross-site request forgery. <laughs> like, well, you know, I can't remember. There was something. It's like, but but that one uses a GET request, and that's not how cross-site request forgery works. And I'm like, according to who? Like, I copy no. and pasted directly from OWASP here. I didn't even change anything. <laughs> <laughs> That was so good. <laughs> oh man! So oh, yeah. so much. And once again, you still have the somebody from that customer team. They're like, "Thank you so much. 
for just destroying it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Thanks for shredding it. We've got that guy right my lunch. Where the board of directors was make the guy from the board of directors making everyone miserable. And and oh yeah, why we're on the call, they all have to like shut up and color. And we get yeah. off and they, they're calling us side channels. Oh, thank thank you so much for pushing back against <laughs> him. <laughs> wow. Yeah, you know, that, that I think my favorite CTO one was the seven character password thing that's launched me into this tirade oh. and this holy war against PCI, where I think we cracked 98% of their passwords because they had seven character passwords. And he's like, well, that's not a critical vulnerability. Why? Because that's the standard <laughs> of my PCI. I'm like, get out of jail free. Get out of jail free. You tell the hackers that. And you know what? When, when, when Brian Krebs calls you, <laughs> and he says, look, they cracked 98% of your passwords and it's all online. I want you to tell him. It's okay. It's cool, Brian. It's cool. They, uh, they, it's cool, Bri Bri. Um, it, we were PCI compliant. And he'll say, I'm spiking the story for you guys. You win. I mean, I, mean, I mean, the hackers read the standards, right? They only set their brute forcing <laughs> attempts to six characters, right? They're compliant. <laughs> At least my I mean, network when, was compliant. <laughs> when, when Brian yeah, calls his other friends, though, are they like, oh, am I hacked, man? Come on, dude. Come on, not <laughs> today. <laughs> not, that's not fair. Not funny. He must be fun at a party. I can just imagine. <laughs> you know what? He's one of those dudes I've never met. We should probably invite him to Wild West Hacking Fest because he's, he's got to have stories. It's like, hi. Or you go, you know, hi. Uh, my name's Brian Cred. It's like, sweet Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're like, John, driving, John, I think you are driving it into your chest. Like, no, 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 no. You're not hacked. Oh. Oh. Oh, oh good. It's a good day. All right. No, I think John's yeah. totally onto something. We've got to get him at Wild West Hacking Fest. That's going to have to happen. Good. That happens. We do. I give someone a five hundred dollar uh, bonus for five hundred. Oh, instead, really old. Those are really old. <laughs> I think we can get him, but we've got to ask him like the questions. Like you know, I, I don't want to. I don't care about crimeware, or ransomware, because we talk about that. Funny every week. stories. That's I want to ask him these stories. Like, have you ever made someone cry? <laughs> And what was it like? Um, so, just my colleague. just told them what happened. That's all I said. Trying <laughs> customers for five hundred dollars. <laughs> Adam, Adam's got a great quote. If it exists, there are vulnerabilities for it. Infosec Rule Thirty Four. We've got to put that on on Twitter. I'm going to steal that from you, Adam, or you should tweet it and then at mention me, and then I'll I'll amplify it, whatever, because I think that's awesome. Yep, it's the Infosec Thirty Four. It's awesome. Oh, do right. you guys I'm answer being... chat or just talk to each other? No, I don't know. I think they're talking to each other in chat now in Discord, so we'll let that. <laughs> John just <laughs> jumping in on conversation. Oh, I, I was getting ready to DM Brian Krebs and say, you want to come to Wildwood's Hacking Fest? <laughs> yeah, his DMs are wide open. Oh, hey, Joff, yeah. how you doing? <laughs> just call John Strand and make sure to introduce yourself right away. Yeah. You know Brian who I am, Krebs. Brian? <laughs> You know, yeah. I know John. I know. I all right. We're, we're like friends. Okay, cool. We're good. Yeah, we're good you friends. can talk. We're good oh, friends. Man, I guess I'll cancel that message. <laughs> that it. Well, Bill Stearns is friends with him on LinkedIn. Just have Bill reach out. Yay, Actually, Bill. To be perfectly honest, it wouldn't surprise me at all if, like, if you talk to Brian Krebs and he's like, "Dude, Bill Stearns is the guy that taught me Unix. I learned everything I know about from that guy." Because that's Bill. <laughs> 
Bill is like the unknown center of the InfoSec universe. Like seriously, uh, that guy knows everybody um, in the old school group. By the way, a serious shout out and congratulations to our good friend, Paul Vixie. Yeah. He, has, he has sold to Domain Tools. And um, I'm hoping, I'm hoping this means that we get to see Paul more at Wild West Hacking Fest. He'll ride his bike out. But, you know, I, I'm just, just happy for him. Uh, although I'm pretty sure that in the background, Paul just put, probably threw his hands up in the air and said, F it, I can't fix this. I'm just going to go ride my bike. And that's what yeah, he's going. I, I was going to say, he's probably out there riding right now. <laughs> like, <Yeah>. See ya. <laughs> probably doesn't have any computers on him anymore. He's like, I tried. I spent my whole lifetime trying to make this stuff better. And uh, you just keep abusing it. I mean, um, today he needs the bumper sticker. Like, I did DNS and nobody seems to care anymore. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but seriously, nothing but absolutely the best of luck, Paul. And we'll hopefully see you at a conference near and dear to our hearts. So. He's a super nice guy, by the way. I, oh, I, yeah, I he, is. he is. He's a great guy. Like, he, like I've said, there's a handful of people in the industry when I see them. I'm like, that's, that's, one, of, that's one of the folks that... that was a guide point for me. And like I said, you got people like Richard Bachelick. Richard Bachelick was a hero of mine. I disagree with him completely on open source tools and things like that. But the guy's one of my heroes. You know, Chris Brenton is one of my heroes, Lance Spitzner. So absolutely, it's really cool to see one of those guys uh, get out and have an opportunity to ride his motorcycle. All right, so with that, let's take it out. Thank you so much, everybody, for joining us. We greatly appreciate it. And you just make our meeting Mondays that much better. This is the good Thank you one. so much. Yeah. The icing. Yeah. It's the icing on the on the Monday.